I'm Gabby Logan, and this is the II Family Money Show. In each episode, I speak to a familiar face about the role money has played in their family life and professional success. This time, I'm joined by the entrepreneur, investor, and star of the BBC's Dragon's Den, Deborah Meaden. In our conversation, Deborah tells me about the huge influence her mother had on her career and her attitude to money, and why she's always believed she can figure out how to do things if she puts her mind to it, and why her pet hate is hearing business people claim all the credit for their successes, rather than acknowledge the people who helped them along the way. Deborah Meaden, it is a real pleasure to chat to you on the II Family Money Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm very excited. Yeah, well, we, we always go back to the very beginning of people's uh, understanding of money, their, their relationship with money when they were a kid. And, and your story is perhaps, I think, almost more relevant to what eventually happened in your life and your career. I, you know, I've heard you talk before about almost this instinctive business and entrepreneurial spirit that you had as a child, but it was almost as a result of the circumstances that your family found themselves in, would you Absolutely. say? I think so. I mean, I, I don't spend hours thinking about why am I, you know, what am I like and why am I like it? But actually when I am posed the question, I think, you know, my mother, she by the age of 21, she was divorced with two young children. She had no money. And, you know, she set an example of somebody we we had, she didn't foster us out, but we had to go and sort of stay with families while she went out and built our life. Now, I don't remember being taught about money and I don't remember being taught about work and earnings. And but obviously I had a great example of somebody who was in very difficult situation who just got on with it, worked her way out of it, you know, and has ended up having a huge, you know, a successful life of her own. So I think that obviously left itself with me. And I've thought about her actually quite a lot when I've heard you talk about that, because she could have easily decided, well, I've got these girls and I'm going to, you know, rely on other people to give us, whether it was the state or whether it was somebody in the family being a benefactor. What was the kind of ambition in her, do you think, to to do it the way she did? Where did that come from? See, I don't know that. Um, But we're all fiercely independent. I'm, I'm one of four girls. We're all fiercely independent. I don't know whether that is nature or nurture, but I think that we all resist asking for help if we feel we can work. It's it's sort of the last resort. You know, that's not true in business. I'm really happy to say to people, I'll help you. Can you help me? But, you know, there's something in me that says, just 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 try and do it on your own first, you know. And I think, um, I, as I say, I don't know if that's nature or nurture. I don't know whether that's because I saw an example of that in my mother and I don't know where my mother got it from. But she, you know, she always has been that person who, who just sort of, you know, gets on with it and looks to herself first. Oh, although, to be fair, she did have to ask for help because she was literally, I mean, she had two young girls and nothing. And she mm. went to see a, a, a lawyer because she didn't, couldn't find a way around the benefit system. I'm not even sure there was a benefit system mm. then. You know, so she went to see a lawyer and this lawyer, she didn't know it at the time. She said, look, um, you know, I, how does it all work? And he said, well, I'm not sure there's anything for you, but I'll work it out for you. Anyway, he said that he'd found some support for her and gave her enough money to put deposit down on a flat. And she found out years later that actually it was his money. And she, you know, she obviously paid him back. And he actually remained, they remained our family and our business lawyers for about 30 years. Wow, that's such a lovely story. Yes, absolutely. But he, I think he saw in somebody, somebody who was, you know, they were, you know, really going to work their way out of this. 
Yeah, she didn't want to play the system. She wasn't no. getting in for that reason. She no. wanted to get you guys into a better life and Absolutely. eventually moved you geographically across the country. And you ended up on the on the family travel park, at, at, like where, where people were holiday homes. It was yes. that, that kind yeah. of setup. Yeah, yeah. No, well, no, so, no, I mean, we moved around a lot when that when um, my parents, so my mother met my father, the man that I call my father, when I was seven, by which time we'd already moved sort of from Essex to Minehead to Wiltshire so we were all you know we were we were basically going wherever the work was but as as you know they came together and they started becoming more and more successful eventually and this was a little bit older and you know when I was a bit older in my life but we actually got you know ultimately ended up with holiday parks that I joined but you know we went through seven well they went through several businesses before that and actually I'd already I'd also had left the family you know and gone yeah. and done my own thing by the time we did yeah. that. yeah well let's talk about that you went off to Italy Yes, Is that right? Yes, I did. So, so with with no kind of, you weren't fluent in Italian at the time. You weren't going out there kind of to further your education with Italian. You were going out there for business with what would seem to be incredible confidence at the well, age you were. Gabby, that's a little bit of an overstatement. To be perfectly honest, I followed an ex-boyfriend. <laughs> and I'm not saying that's a great way. No, but I went with the intention of of finding a business. I was I was in that moment in my life where I thought, nothing's changing. I'm stuck. And unless I change something, nothing will change. So I thought, well, actually, you know, just get on a plane, go out and see Vincent. He was a graphic designer. He was living with his new girlfriend as a fashion designer. Um, And I thought, well, let's just see if an opportunity comes from that. And it is true in life. You know, if you put yourself out there and you change your scenery, change the landscape, something new Mm. happens. And it worked. But, uh, But it wasn't really... It wasn't really part of a plan. There was no, what do I do once I get there? There was more of a, let's get there, change the landscape and see what happens. And you started exporting, was it glassware, pottery, ceramics, that kind of thing? Well, yeah. So I went to an exhibition, um, uh, a sort of homewares exhibition and found these four beautiful ceramics. Actually, I might have something on my desk still left from it but uh, four companies have made something beautiful so it's either beautiful glassware or it's beautiful furniture or beautiful china and i set up a business called tutto quattro which is a slight play on italian because it should be tutti quattro but anyway i set up this business and basically it was importing those four companies importing their goods back to the uk i was 18 i think Credit to those people. I, you know, I sort of bounced into their office and said, "You need me to take your products over to the UK." You know, and credit to them. They didn't know me from. from you know. Well, what did you know about exporting? I didn't, but I uh, and I don't know whether I, this must again come from my early childhood. I have always believed I can find anything out. You know, I've I've always thought. When I say I can't, I don't like asking for help. I certainly don't mind phoning up people and saying, how does this work? You know, Mm, (laughs) what do I do now? So I did. I worked my way around it. Um, I didn't have any money. So I had to set up basically invoice discounting, you know, whereby um, I actually sort of bring the goods in, get the cash up front Mm -hmm. and then sell them. You know, so I found my way around that. Uh, Had a took these goods to the, an exhibition called Top Draw, which is actually still going. And, uh, you know, got into Harvey Nichols and Harrods and really good high-end stores. Um, and then the next year found that the Italians, who had been so wonderful and supportive of me, had started putting the goods straight into store, bypassing me, which was <laughs> a great lesson. Yeah, yeah. Because if you were to do that again, presumably you'd have some kind of exclusivity deal with well, them. Well, I did. I, I guess that's the business lesson from but that. But I, oh, right. I had, I tell you the lesson, the business lesson for me. So I did have them under contract and I, I did have an exclusivity arrangement. 
But the lesson I learned, and this is such a powerful and important lesson, know what to spend your time on. I might have had them under contract. I didn't have a lot of money. I was going to fight. What am I going to do? Fight four companies, you mm. know, legally. Mm. I just thought, you know what? Amazing lesson. Now learn and move on. Um, and actually, from being in Italy, I'd seen Stefanel, and that was my second business. You know, I'd seen Stefanel, mm-hmm. and again, just bounced into the head office in Knightsbridge, they were at the time, and just said, are you thinking about franchising? And uh, they said, well, actually, the managing director's offices are downstairs. So I knocked on the door, and I didn't knock on the door. I saw the secretary, you know, and she let me through and uh, and uh, convinced them I could have one of the first Stefanel franchises in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, what was what was the motivation for you at this point? Because obviously you wanted to earn a living of some sort, but um, was it was it the thrill of the deal? Was it the thrill of uh, building something? What what was the spark of your entrepreneurial spirit? I think absolutely fundamentally, it's been about independence. I am fiercely independent, and I wanted to build my own life. Um, and I thought that business and also because my parents had been talking about business from, you know, they had a business when I was seven or eight. So they were beginning to talk about it. So it felt very familiar to me. I've never mm-hmm. really considered a career. Um, and I just I just thought business is and it is true today. It's a very good way of building your own life. That doesn't mean that you're always in control because business is like having a child. You know, sometimes when it's a baby, you're at its beck and call. It cries, you you know, you nurse it. Mm -hmm. But you can actually choose your moment. You know, you are a little bit more in control with business. And I think that's really what it was about. I wanted to be able to build my own life. And in the early days, I didn't have any money. So, yeah, absolutely. It was about money. (laughs) (laughs) But you weren't uh, because you sometimes when you speak to people who've started at the beginning, they they see these big empires and it's you get a sense of an ego that is kind of, you know, they're almost like they're wanting to have it in their name and their, you know, their image. But actually you were buying into other businesses or looking at other things. So it wasn't that you wanted Deborah Mead and Inc. to be out there. This was all about you creating a life, which is such a wholesome kind of way of, of, of starting out, it feels. And that and that integrity as well, which I think is synonymous with you, was clearly there from the beginning. Uh, do you know, I, I've got a real pet hate and it's, it's people taking other people's glory and um, often you see in businesses you know the one person I built this look at look what I did and I think no you didn't you climbed on the shoulders of other people I'm sure you're amazing and I'm sure that you're a great leader and I think you I expect you made a load of great decisions there will be hundreds of people who helped you get where you are and I think the best way to get the best from people is to recognize when they've done a cracking job and I never needed, you know, I never, I didn't need that. You know, I, I'm mm. more satisfied with me thinking I've done a good job. I am more upset with myself when I think I've done a bad job. You know, I don't need somebody else to tell me that. Mm. So so that really wasn't my driver. But, and I, I do, I genuinely get a great deal of satisfaction out, and you can see that with my investments, out of seeing mm. people be their best. You know, I just think, I genuinely, I, I feel like, yeah, there it is. There it is. <laughs> so, so you love being a boss. You love that responsibility. Well, I do. I like challenges. I get very bored very easily with doing the same thing all of the time. And business does require, you know, most of business is actually quite dull. <laughs> you, know, you just, you do the same old, same old. 
I, I'm lucky now I'm an investor. I'm really only involved with the businesses at a strategic level mm. and when they really need me. And when they really need me is we've got a problem, we've got amazing opportunity, we've got an exit, we want an acquisition. You know, it's all the stuff that gets me fired up. Before we get to your um, TV investing role, when you're building your, your business and you're, you're in your 30s and things are going very well for you, at that point, how much were you thinking about the future in terms of personal investment away from your businesses? Or have your investments always been in other businesses? Did you, could you kind of take an IFA on or anything like that? No. So I, um, Westar Holidays was the, was the big business that, you know, that I started made baby the, and made me, yeah, yeah. absolutely made me realise that I was, actually quite well, quite well off and I was working in that until I was about 47 and that was I mean that was holiday parks that's that was hard work um mm. and I it was work I loved because but it absolutely it was the business love of my life I had no time for any other investments at all and it wasn't until I exited that that I realized actually when when I exited that I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, you know, I was so busy in the whole sale process and it was a very complicated sale process. How so, long, for people who don't know, how long would something like that take? Well, so the whole thing, uh, the whole story was I was approached by a very big company to buy Westar Holidays. I wasn't emotionally ready to. I was loving what I was doing. It was the business love of my life. But my head said, actually, Deborah, when you want to sell, when you you actually are ready to sell, the market might not be right. So you better pay attention. We nearly did a deal. And then uh, they tried to chip at the end and I walked away and then thought, mm, actually, it probably is time to sell. So um, so we put a book out. And what that means is we come up with an information memorandum. It tells them all of the stuff that they need to know to consider whether or not they want to get involved with the business. You put that out to about 20 people who might be interested. We did. Uh, we came back with about 10, 10 or 11 bidders who were genuinely interested. More information, walking around the parks. Uh, then you agree on, you know, you actually agree on your final deal. So I would say from the time that we started... Uh, it was probably a six month process to go through. And that allows you, presumably, that six months allows you to kind of take your emotions away a little bit. Because you said it was like your baby. It was like some, it was something that you, and all that, that process. Are you removing yourself emotionally at the same time? I think so. So, so because I'm quite target driven, you know, I'm doing what, what is it that I'm trying to achieve? It became my job to, to sell the business. And therefore, you know, that was going to be my achievement. I kind of didn't think about what it was going to feel like the day after, because that was my role. The day after I was, that was, it was great because I was exhausted <laughs> and I was running the business. Don't forget, you know, I'm still running a business because if the deal falls over, I still need yeah. a healthy business, <laughs> you know, so I'm still running the business and, you know, the deal. So I was absolutely exhausted. And then about a week after I started moving the furniture around and Paul, my husband said to me, oh, for goodness sake, Deborah, just go and do something. Thing. <laughs> this is driving me mad. You know. Did you have anything? You know, I always if I feel like I read. I love reading stories of people who start a business from scratch and sell it, and you know, make a lot of money for themselves, having come pretty much from nothing. Was there something materially that you always wanted to buy yourself, or you thought would be the reward for for this? Yes, reward, not buy myself. I wanted the freedom to choose what I wanted to do, and that for me is what having the finances what having the money has done for me because I can choose what I want to do and, and you know if, if I'm if, people say to me you know how long are you good are you going to do Dragon's Den and I say well as long as I want to because it's not my job I don't have to do it I don't have to make investments you know and that mm. is I mean that is a very privileged position to be in to be able to choose 
and it's not always true. Well, you're true. kind of, it's kind of buying time, isn't it? Yeah. Which is Which the thing is that everybody the most, would love to be able to do. Most valuable thing. So how quickly did Dragon's Den come around then? Well, it was actually happening. So there were two stages. I sold the majority of the business the first time and then I sold out the second time. So Dragon's Den came in between me selling Westar Holidays to a private equity group and I still had owned 25% of it. Um, then it came on board, which was good because I'd stepped back from the business. My only role was acquisition. So I was just looking for mm -hmm. new holiday parks. And Dragon's Den came in at the very moment Paul said to me, for goodness sake, stop reorganising the furniture. Go and do something. And he manifested it for you. <laughs> he did. <laughs> so when I said, shall I do Dragon's? Oh, yes. No, no, you definitely need to do Dragon's. <laughs> but actually, I, I didn't want to do it. I said, no. Three times. No, the third time I agreed to. So I said no to Dragons because I felt like I built this life. I knew the life I wanted gets down to freedom mm. and making choices. I didn't want the media to influence and cut across the way I wanted to live. And I didn't want them to build mm -hmm. their own narrative about me that I wouldn't feel mm -hmm. comfortable with. Um, so I really didn't want to do it. But then a uh, fantastic lady called Helen Buller, who got me involved, just thought, oh, just come along to a screen touch. I think she saw in me that if she could just get me there, I would love it. Just in, come get you in yeah, the room. Just get me in the room and look me in the eye. And sure enough, I sat in that chair and I did a screen test with Richard Farley and Duncan Bannatyne. And when I came out of that, I was like, oh, if they don't give me this, I'm going to be gutted. <laughs> she was very smart. It's horrible when that happens, isn't it? Oh. When you think you don't want something and then suddenly <laughs> when know. you're in a position where it might not happen. <laughs> oh, no, I do really want this. And, and this was a chance for you to, as you've shown over, over a decade now, to, to go in and make a real difference to startups and people who think they've got a, a, a crazy, brilliant idea, um, which for somebody who loves building businesses actually just must be a joy. Oh, I love it. I honestly, you know, as I say, people say to me, how oh, God, this is 18 series I've been doing it. Um, yeah. And people say to me, you know, how long are you going to carry on doing? I said, every single time I sit down in that chair I, I, and somebody walks through those lift doors, bang, you know, I absolutely love it. I love it for the, for the good, the bad and the ugly, you know, the crazy, the inspired, you know, and, and people say this all the time. I love it when people say, I learn every day. And I think you don't know, do you? <laughs> but I genuinely, I genuinely sit there thinking, well, I never thought of that, you know, or, or, or I learn it or I learn something from my fellow dragons, you know. So oh, yeah, it's amazing, yeah. you know, so, oh, I'm so lucky. Because you all have things that you're specialists in or things that you would see yourselves being specialists in, but you also have different approaches to investment and different approaches to risk. What have you learned about your approach to risk through doing the show? So I'm definitely a risk taker. And actually, the closer a business is aligned to my ethics, probably the bigger risk I'll take. So there is... That's become more apparent, hasn't it, I think, in the yeah. last, you know, your, your voice has come stronger and stronger on that in the program. Yeah, I, well, I, good. I, I'm not sure it has come. I think they're allowing it to be shown because, of course, some of those pictures take, take three hours. So a lot of what is shown is down to editor's choice. Right. So you've so always had that in you but I it's think not necessarily so, but I been. just think it's come forward and, and particularly mm. the greenish you know I was, listen I when I was my thesis when I was at college you know 17 or 18 years old it was on climate change so you know I've always yeah. been worried about it that's not new but mm -hmm. I do think because it you know it's it's more relevant to more businesses now mm -hmm. I think that gets shown so yeah so the closer to that I will take bigger risks because I also understand that we're in a transitional period and 
people like me should support businesses who are trying to mm. transition to a more net zero or biodiversity mm -hmm. friendly model. So, you know, it isn't just about head, but I do have to fundamentally believe there's a business in there. You know, I don't just, it mm -hmm. doesn't just bring mm -hmm. a dog in or talk about the environment and there you are, there's my money. You know, <laughs> uh, and along the way, I say you've invested in all kinds of businesses. You've also had different dragons as partners. Um, and I know, you know, telly has lots of artifice, doesn't it? That we know, you know, the retakes and things like that. You, when they come into pitch, when all those people open the doors and they they walk in, on average, how long are they are they being interrogated by you guys for? How much do we see, do you reckon? So I love Dragons because it is close as you're going to get to real life on television. Of course, it's on television, hmm. but there are no retakes. There are no, there's nothing in our ears. There's no direction. They don't tell us when to speed up or slow down. They've tried it once about 15 years ago and, and we all ignored them, obviously. They were stood at the back going, wind <laughs> it up. And we're like, yeah, whatever. And carried on with the talking. And, and afterwards, yeah, we're just yeah. about to invest our own money. <laughs> exactly. So, no. Gabby, exactly what we said. We said, when it's your money, you could tell us when to, when to stop, but it's our money. Quite so, right. Uh, so we carried on. So the good news is it is as close as you're going to get. But people, what people have got to remember, it's the beginning part of a deal. So it's it's mm -hmm. the bit that says, are we interested in this? The longest pitch I've ever sat through is three and a half hours. The shortest. Did you invest? Yes. So the longer it goes on, probably the more likely you are to get an investment because mm. we're not there to waste our time. You know, if there's a moment. No. But sometimes you can get three hours down the track. Somebody asks a question and you think, oh, my goodness, problem, problem. Um, I think they're my favourite ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, they are. But then I think I've sat here for three hours and, and now I'm not going to invest. But um, but the shortest one I've done is, is about 11 minutes. And, you know, and again, we're not into wasting people's time, no. giving the false promises, you know. Um, so that's the range. And so, uh, do you know, are you allowed to say how much you've invested over that time? Is that I something think, that yeah, you... I think so. I don't actually, I don't, because I, I don't keep a running how many total businesses? of that. So I think okay. it's, well, it's north of 40. Um, so so wow. I've offered, I think I've offered in about 60, but not all businesses complete. Because don't forget the bit right. that we're doing in the den is a negotiation yeah. and an agreement. But then we move into due diligence later. And if something and sometimes... comes... Sometimes it doesn't happen. Um, so I'm definitely north of 40, but I probably, you probably see me offer in north of 60. And do you invest outside of the show as well? Yes, Or I is do. this your own? Yeah. yeah and are they more orthodox investments or do people still come to you with business ideas? So I have got some what you would call orthodox investments, um, but I actually prefer to invest with businesses that I think I can make a difference to. So I don't get a pleasure out of looking at a list of share prices and thinking, oh, that's going to go up and that's going to go down. You know, that's just not, it doesn't mm. thrill me. I, I doesn't mean to say I haven't got some of those investments, but it doesn't interest me or excite me. And I like to be, I, you know, I, I've earned money so I can do things I enjoy with it. Uh, so I would much rather be working mm. with businesses. And it, they're usually on the edgier side mm -hmm. because I think they're the businesses that can sometimes make a real difference. And mm. they're also the ones who struggle to get the cash. And you don't have children yourself, but you have um, obviously all these babies, <laughs> all these different um, companies and people that you're investing in. Do they become... I know you've got a family as well outside, you know, you're married, but do they do they become like a kind of second family as well? Do you get emotionally attached to the people you work with? I do care about them. I do care about them. Um, so, I listen, we don't go out for dinner all the time. We don't phone each other up and, and you know, we're not, mm. we don't socialise. 
but I I care. And when we talk mm-hmm. about them, and and you know, all businesses go through difficult times, and and particularly when you've got founders and people have started their businesses, they can feel very very lonely. And sometimes I know that my only role is to is to give them confidence and to mm-hmm. help them through difficult periods or you know talk about how this happened to me don't worry about it it's going to you know and i only i don't have to do that that isn't my my role really as an investor well actually i think it is my role as an investor i do think that's yeah. my particular role as an investor. Mm. But I think it's also, from the outside, it would appear to be one of the key attributes that draws people to want to choose you as well, I think, because I think that human side, you know, is you could, anybody, an algorithm could tell you which person to invest in, couldn't it? But actually, yeah. it's that human connection, which, well, it certainly makes the show more entertaining anyway. Good. You have written, though, uh, a book for children, haven't you, which is out uh, in the summer. Um, and you've been doing a lot of work in this space about educating kids about money. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. So I haven't got children, but I do like... I, listen, I'm, t- I'm terrible with babies. I'm terrified of them. I'm not scared of anything but babies. You know, they just look so fragile and I just don't have me the baby. I'm going to drop it. <laughs> but I do like children, um, I, but I do tend to treat them as adults. You know, I'm not very... I think I'm not very good around children, but actually I get on really well with them because we just have a chat, you know. Um, yeah. And it just, it just occurred to me that, uh, and, and the facts are that actually most children form their money habits or most people form their money habits by the time they're about seven, you know. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, you're trying to either undo bad habits or build on good habits, which is why I thought, you know what, it's really, I think it's really important that children understand the money in the round, you know. And I don't mean money for money's sake. The book isn't about that. You know, it's about the good and the bad of money, you know, the choices that you make in life, you know, and your needs versus your wants and being able to identify all of those things, but also delivered, I hope, in a fun way. Money's actually absolutely fascinating. You know, when you look at the history of it, how come bits of paper are worth anything how did that happen Mm -hmm. you know so i so it talks about all the history of money when it first started you know and the belief system of money and you know i've absolutely i've loved writing it i was really i was really nervous about it though and i don't get nervous but i sent the book off they gave me a deadline and i sent the book off two weeks early which apparently is unheard of you know but he's always late on their deadline (laughs) and i said no 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 i'm expecting a red line through everything because i don't know if i've got the right voice i don't know yeah yeah. I, i don't have have children that are six you know six so are to you nine. talking at the right level totally yeah. Yeah. you know um, yeah. and I was fully expecting loads of red lines and and was was mildly chuffed when it came back and I mean some definitely some amendments um you know you need to explain this a bit and break that down but you hit the right tone I hope so I hope so and that and is that the start of of more of uh, the Deborah Meaden publishing empire do you see do you see more <laughs> educational money books coming down well, the track so the first thing that happened, I tweeted saying, because I was very chuffed. I've never, you know, it's, I never expected to write a children's book. And I was sort of, I was really quite excited about it, you know, and I tweeted out it and I said, oh, I've written a children's book, I'm really excited. And I had, apart from people saying, would you like to send, send it through to the Chancellor? <laughs> I've got a 50-year-old who would like to read it. You know, can you do one for teenagers? So um, I, am, I am talking now to the publishers about doing one for the next age group up. I think it'd be quite nice to have a series of books that sort of help people form their money ideas. And I don't mean the whole point of it is not to talk about money for money's sake. That's the point. It's what can money do to shape the world, make the world a better place? 
I was going to say, does your philosophy kind of weave through that then in terms of your own personal investing philosophy, do you think, without it being kind of like, you know, smacking them in the face, they'll come away with that idea that actually you can do great things with money and you can be a, a game changer with money? I hope so. But I, I try not to preach. I try to say, you know, you can choose what you do. You know, the wonderful thing about money is that you can choose how you want to spend. it. I don't say how they should choose or what they should choose, but just you can mm -hmm. choose um, to use mm -hmm. your money well. And you have to decide mm -hmm. what your well is. You know, we all mm. have a different well, don't we? We all, mm. you know, we all have a different good. But choose what your good is and you can, you know, your money can help you shape the world towards your good. You're um, you obviously a very passionate um, advocate for looking after the world and thinking about the environment when we, when we invest and thinking about, and obviously there are now investment funds, aren't there, which are very much, that is the, the sole aim of the fund. Uh, are you a fan of those and have you invested in any of those yourself? I have actually. I, I invested in a very early one, probably about six years ago, uh, a completely ESG green. investing. Yes. Well, and a completely green fund. It was one of the very, very early ones. Um, and I did did it again I did I didn't do it for its returns in terms of just cash and this is something I say a lot Gabby I think we should really widen our our scope of what we mean by profit you know because I mm -hmm. want more than just cash out of my investments I want cash I want to know what impact they're having you know I want to know what their good does that do their ethics fit with my ethics and this was one that I thought you know we're not going to set the world alight with this but it is sitting in the area that I really, really care about. So, yes, I have invested in those and, and, and I do invest in projects that will actually, mm -hmm. you know, well, at the moment, I'm really worried about the environment and biodiversity. And in terms of your Dragon's Den investments, do you have a top and a bottom? Do you have the worst one in terms of returns or one that you regret? Um, it can't it can't all have been plain sailing. Oh, no, it hasn't. No, no. Do you know, I, um, I've absolutely had failures and that would be uh, why. Um, so sometimes it just hasn't lit. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. a great idea and, and sometimes it'd be a great idea just at the wrong time or the story isn't mm -hmm. told well. Um, and, and, and sometimes it just hasn't, the chemistry hasn't worked. I've actually had a business that I've said, what, what can happen is that once I'm invested, they go, huh, excellent. That's done then, isn't it? I'll have a cup of tea. Absolutely. And I'm like, no, this is where the hard work starts because I'm about to move all of those barriers that you think is standing between you and success. I'm going to remove and you're going to have to go through them. And then they've realised really quickly they actually thought they wanted to take over the world, but they don't want to take over the world. And actually, they just want a lifestyle business. And that's completely fine. And at that point, I've actually handed people their shares back and said, look, life's too short. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make you unhappy because I'm going to be driving you to do something that you don't want to do. So let's just agree, you know. Um, so it ranges from me handing shares back to people. Often the founders will buy the shares back once they've got, you know, the business is off the ground. I'm very happy with that. Mm -hmm. I, You know, I've helped them do the important bit, which is get through that really difficult period. Mm -hmm. And then they'll buy me out, which is great. And then, you know, we have sort of external exits of businesses that, are, you know, multi-million pound businesses. I've got one on the go at the moment, you know, which is a cracking business um, that we've got lots of people bidding for. So, um, you know, that's the range of, of, of how it works. But if you don't get it wrong, you're not trying hard enough. You know? <laughs> and and what, is there anything you wish you'd done differently with your money over the last few decades or so? 
Um, so I'm not a regret kind of person. Um, and I actually think that getting things wrong is a very, very, and learning how to get things wrong, deal with it, move on and not carry that error around. You know, I meet so many people with a mm. sack of things they've got wrong sitting on their shoulders, regret. you know. <laughs> uh, there's no point in that. So I'm not sure I'd change anything because, you know, listen, my first business was a failure. Because ultimately, I, you know, those Italian companies took advantage of me and, mm. you know, and, and I lost money. That was a failure. But that was the start of my business journey. And, you know, and, yeah. I, and I will make tiny failures. Or we all do. We get things wrong mm. all of the time, all day, every day. All you've got to do is get more right than you get wrong. So I, I don't think I'd change anything, really. Thanks for listening to the II Family Money Show. If you've got time, please give us a follow in your podcast app and leave us a review or rating. You can find loads of ideas on how to plan for you and your family's financial future at ii.co.uk. I'll see you next time.